0: Chapter Three of A Winter of Content by Laura Lee Davidson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The days are still warm, but autumn is surely here. The wasps are dying everywhere and lie in heaps on all the window sills. The great water spiders have disappeared, and all day long the yellow leaves drift down silently, steadily in the FOREST. Wreaths of vapor hang over the trees, and every wind brings the pungent fall odor of distant forest fires the hillsides are a blaze of color with basswoods a beautiful butter yellow oaks russet maroon and sugar maples a flame of scarlet against the dark green velvet of the cedars and hemlocks each birch stands forth a slender Danai, white feet in a drift of gold the woods here on the island are thinning rapidly all sorts of hidden dells and boulders are coming to light soon the whole island will lie open to the sight and then there will no longer be anything mysterious about it. Dried heads of goldenrod, life everlasting, and a few closed gentians are all that are left of the flowers, but the red and orange garlands of the bittersweet wave from every bush, the juniper berries are purple, and the sumacs are a wonder of great garnet velvet cones. From a walk round the trails I bring in an assortment of seeds, beggar's ticks, stick seeds, Spanish needles, pitchforks, the tramps of the vegetable world Burrows calls them they cover my skirt they cling to my woollen leggings they perch on the brim of my hat little pocket-shaped cases pods with hooks seeds shaped like tiny twin turtles and furry balls like miniature chestnut burrs. as i pick and brush and tear them off i wish i knew what plants had fathered every one of them at the approach of cold weather the small animals and the few birds that are left draw nearer to the house grouse are all in the paths flying up everywhere they rise with a thrashing pounding noise and soar away over the bushes to settle again only a little further on last evening at twilight two of them came on the porch the little cock ruffling it bravely wings dragging fantail tail spread ruff standing valiantly erect a hen followed sedately at his heels they are very pretty about the size of bantam chickens how i hope that i shall be here to see their young in the spring this afternoon a red squirrel came round the corner of the house and sat down absent-mindedly beside me on a bench when he looked up and saw what he had done he gave a shriek and bound and fled chattering off toward the sundial but he will come back and will probably be darting into the house when he thinks my back is turned for there is nothing half so impotent or mischievous as a red squirrel i'm told that they do not den in as the chipmunks do the rabbits do their best to help me get rid of my stores there are hundreds of them about they sit under the bushes peering out they appear and disappear between the dry stalks of the brakes at evening they come close to the house and catch bits of bread and potatoes thrown to them then sit in the paths munching contentedly they are not rabbits correctly speaking but canadian hares with long brown fur bulging black eyes furry ears fringed with black very long hind legs one of them comes so close and seems so fearless that it should not be difficult to tame him i have named him peter these hares turn snow-white in winter i am told even now their coats are showing white where the winter coat is growing in the dusk the porcupines come pushing through the fallen leaves snuffling and grunting away in the woods the bobcats scream and snarl the natives accuse the bobcat of a pretty trick of lying flattened down on a limb waiting for his prey to pass underneath then he drops on its back to tear with tooth and talon they warn me not to walk in the woods after dark for fear of this canadian lynx but my natural histories say that while the lynx sometimes follows the hunter for long distances he does it only because he is curious and that there is no authentic record of the bobcats ever having attacked a man so I shall continue to take my walks abroad, without fear that a fierce tree-cat will drop on me. But late in the night, when I am waked by that eerie sound that begins with a low meow, like the cry of the house-cat, and goes on louder and louder to end in a horrid screech full of malevolent violence, I cover my head and am glad that I am safe indoors. I know that the lynx has come forth from his lair in a hollow tree and is hunting my poor rabbits there is no telephone line to the island sometimes i am storm-bound for a week but in some underground way the news of the neighbourhood reaches me sooner or later therefore when i came out of doors the other morning i was instantly aware of a sense of impending disaster that hung over all the landscape there was no cheerful popping of guns in the fields no hoarse voice bawled to the cattle at blake's the cause of the silence was explained all the men round many islands had been summoned to the courthouse at frontenac to be tried for the illegal netting and export of fish out of season a knot of angry men had gathered on the shore discussing the summons anxious women hovered in the background speculation was rife as to the identity of the informer it could have been none of our men for the obvious reason that all were in the same boat blackjack baylock yankee jim little jack Long Joe, William Forreth. All had received the same summons. It must have been an inspector from Glen Avon. Did we not all remember a strange white boat in the lake? That was, without doubt, the fish warden come to spy out for nets. I know very little about the legality of nets versus hooks, or the open and closed seasons for fishing, but even to my ignorance there seemed grave doubts about the line of defense to be offered, and I was conscious that, being an alien and a sport, vernacular for a sportsman, that is, summer visitor, the matter was not being freely discussed in my presence. Next morning, while it was dark yet, Foret's motorboat was heard, chugging solemnly round the shore, gathering up the victims to take them to court. All day the women went softly, each wondering what was happening to her man, and devising means for scraping up the money for fines, if fines it had to be henry blake went off to town to the trial and the day passed gray and lowering at red sunset the boat turned in at the narrows but before she hove inside the very beat of her engine signaled victory she came swinging down the lake her crew upright alert the flag of canada blew in the wind her propeller kicked the water joyously as she made the round of the lake to blakes to bulocks to Drapio's, to the mines it needed none to tell us that all was well before it touched at the island last to give news of the fight. The case had been dismissed for lack of evidence. There had been no conviction, no fines. "'How did it happen that there were no witnesses?' I asked. For it took out his patch and stuffed his pipe carefully before he answered. "'There was eight or nine fellows there from Blue Bay,' he said. "'They looked like they'd come to testify, but after we had talked to them a bit, it seemed like they hadn't nothing at all to say.' "'What had you told them?' I persisted. "'Well, we told them that if any man felt like he'd any information to give concerning netting for fish, he'd best make his plans to leave the lake for twelve o'clock tonight. We meant it to. They knowed that. Blackjack gave them some very plain talk, Blackjack did. "'I guess, with a grin, I guess that was about the politest man there.' "'I was fined once,' William went on, reminiscently. Twenty-five dollars it was, too.' and it just about cleaned me out. They put me on oath, you see, and of course, when a man's on his oath, he can't lie. But the next time I went to town, I seen a lawyer, and he told me that they hadn't no right to ask me that question. A man ain't called on to testify against himself. So now when the judge asked me, did you or did you not net for fish, I says, that's for you to prove. Bring on your witnesses. Howsoever he went on, as long as this has come up, I guess we'd all well eat mud-cats for a spell. So mud-cats it was, until the herring began to run. For it has kept me supplied with fish this fall, explaining carefully that he will sell me pickerel, herring, and catfish, but not bass, bass being a game fish, may not be caught for the market. I have paid for the pickerel by the pound, and the bass have been gifts, but, as William justly remarks, what are a few bass now and then in a friendly way? for it is long lean powerful with thin keen face steady dark eyes and the long silent tread of the woodsman sometimes he works in the mica mines sometimes he farms a bit or fells trees more often he hunts and fishes but always he is a delightful companion because of his unconquerable optimism and fervent interest in all that concerns a matter in hand he never omits a difficulty no obstacle ever daunts him and no one has ever heard him say an unkind thing about any living creature when william goes off to a dance jean for is wild with anxiety when he drinks a bit too much and the other men throw him into a hayfield or barn to sleep it off she ranges the country in a despairing search when he sobers and comes home subdued and bearing gifts who is so contrite as he never again will i go to a dance there's nothing to it at all he assures you a man's better off to home but once and so often william takes his fling only he is never ugly or quarrelsome when he drinks even when his mind has lost control he is quiet and peaceable they say the forets live on the mainland three miles off along the shore william is building their house by degrees this season he went as far as the inner wall frame studding windows chimney and floor there is also an outer casing of builders paper tacked on with small discs of tin the whole edifice stands on stilts about five feet off the ground giving fine harbour for the hounds and a pig or two beneath the first time i called to see them william made a great show of driving these animals forth the boards is so thin he apologised that it seems that i can smell them dogs up through the floor when i remember that one thickness of board and a few sheets of paper all that stand between the foreheads and the winter blasts i shudder not so the foreheads They are apparently quite undismayed and look forward to the approach of winter without misgiving. The house is divided into two rooms, each about ten feet square. There are lace curtains at the tiny windows, bright pictures, mostly colored calendars, a gay rag carpet, and, over all the comfort of an exquisite neatness, for Miss Forrett is the cleanest housekeeper imaginable. Jenny Forrett, with her snapping black eyes, her dark hair upreared in a militant pompadour, her trim, alert figure, and quick, light movements. Where did she acquire her love of order in her dainty, cleanly ways, I wonder? It is a friendly place. Chickens, ducks, geese, cats, dogs, horses, and cows roll, run, squawk, and squeal all over the hillside. In the cove before the house, live boxes are moored, motorboat, and skiffs lie at anchor. There are nets and skins drying on the fences. Two bunch of ribbon grass do duty for a formal garden standing sentinel on either side of the path that winds to the door the house looks away from the drowned lands where the wicked roots and snags of the submerged forest stand in the water threatening navigation the channel to the landing is windy and treacherous but once at the door no guest is ever turned away wandering miner tramp bewildered immigrant each is sure of a meal a bed and something to set him on his way End of chapter 3